Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking edition of the Matt Brown Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series where we're talking to entrepreneurs and business thought leaders all about their epic failures uh, in business. And with us in the line is a global speaker and um, just an all-round best-selling author and just an amazing guy doing amazing things. Uh, his name is none other than Robert Stevenson. Robertson, uh, Robert, rather, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. I'm glad to, have, glad to have the opportunity to speak with you. No, that's awesome, man. So why don't you give us the elevator pitch uh, about you? What are you up to these days? Uh, in a nutshell, I'm a motivational business speaker. I kind of put business on there because when I got into the business, I was a motivational speaker, but I found people needed more to take home. And so because of my business background, having owned five companies, I decided to uh, incorporate that into my program so they can have something that when they went back to their offices after going to an association meeting or a conference, they could have what I call tangible take-homes, things that they could use immediately into their business. So uh, so for the last 30 years, I've spoken over 2,500 times in 20 different countries to over 250 different industries. So it's a I enjoy it because it, I, I get to look at so many diverse industries and do so many different things. And, and I'm not industry specific, nor am I topic specific. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a business owner, you're a jack of all trades. You, you have to deal with leadership and employees and change and sales. And I'll touch on all those subjects. Amazing. So let's get on to the meat and the potatoes of uh, this episode. Uh, Robert, what is your story of fail for our audience today? I thought about that long and hard about what I could share with you just on the business side. And I thought, you know, a story that I love is what happened in my first speaking engagement. I mean, I, I've owned, you know, five companies and I've sold in 20 countries, as I said. And uh, so I've, uh, I was a pretty experienced individual, but I got into the speaking business, which is a very backward business. You have to have a video to get booked and you have to have a booking to get, you know, to get a video. But you finally figure out how to do it. And I wanted to work with agents. So... I finally got my first speaking engagement with an agent after a couple of years. And it was the 500 people in, in Central Florida in July, which, which is hot and humid. But I was in, you got air conditioners and it was an old conference, uh, you know, a convention center. And so I showed up and it was a dinner program. So I met with the people and then they had the head table and I talked to the meeting planner and I told her, I said, look, about 15 minutes before the program, I'm going to slide out and go to the restroom and, and then I'll be back. Don't worry about a thing. And she said, no, that's fine. Great. No problem. So you're at the head table and everything's going fine and people are talking and you got the music and everything else. And about 15 minutes before, you know, I'd ask her, where, where are the restrooms? And she pointed. And so I'm like, oh, OK. So when I remember where she pointed, I, I didn't go check. I just thought that that's where she pointed. So I was like, OK. So I slid out very quietly and I went out the door that I thought she had pointed to. Little did I know it was the wrong door. I go down the hall and I there's no restroom. And I keep walking and then I go through another door. And it's kind of dark and I'm wondering, where in the heck is she sitting me? And then I go through a third door. And little did I know that the doors that I went through had locked behind me. So I finally found the restroom. <laughs> now I'm like going, yeah, found the restroom. And time is going and I got to get back. And so, and so after I... Finally, I go in there and I go to the door that I did not know that locked behind me and it was locked. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I'm moving the door handle a lot of pounding on the door. I can hear the music and I can hear the clanking of dishes, but no one can hear me. No one and no one has any clue where I am. And I'm sitting there going, this is my first paid engagement with an agent. I'm, I'm going to blow this thing totally. So I, I go the other direction because I can't go that way. Trying to look for an out. Can't find a place out. And I remembered in the bathroom, there was a window. 
It was an old crank window. So I go there and I crank the window out and I get, okay, this is no problem. And I look down and it's about an eight foot drop. And this is years ago. I'm just in pretty good shape. And I figured, okay, I can do this. Don't pay attention to what I'm dropping into, but I think it's got an eight foot drop. So what do I do? I make the decision to drop down into and then this parking lot, gravel parking lot. So I drop down and there's no going back and jumping up and pulling myself back up. So I drop down in there and then I look around. There's a nine foot chain link fence. I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. Now, this is July in Florida. I mean, I'm already sweating bullets. And I'm wearing, and something you'll always remember, never wear a blue shirt because you can see the sweat all over me. So I got this nine-foot chain fence that I now got to go over. So I take off my coat, wrap it up, and throw it over. I mean, I'm, I'm in a really nice suit. <laughs> I climb this chain link fence. And then I jump over and I land down. Now I got to walk all the way around the convention center, all the way around it. And I'm still sweating bullets. And the guy that hired me has no clue, no clue where I am. He's up there blowing smoke, talking small talk, just praying I'm going to show up. And then I walk in the back door and he goes, oh, well, here's our speaker now, Mr. Stevenson. 500 people turned and they all basically said the same thing. I mean, you could just hear them all. Just go, you got it. And I'm standing there on my door. Totally pitted out of the blue shirt, got my jacket thrown over me, dirty as I can be, filthy, and I'm, I'm going, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, you've blown it. So I figured, what am I going to do? I'm going to do the gig. So I walk up to the front, and I figured, you know, the best thing you can do is tell them what happened. I mean, the people are on the floor laughing. <laughs> they, they, they are, you just tell them the truth. This is what I did. I jumped out the window. I climbed this. I walked around the building. I had no clue what was going on. And and then I, and people started bringing me napkins to clean off. They started bringing me water to get off. And I said, and I and I did ninety minutes. Looking like an entire fool, but I made it through it. And you wouldn't, I, I got several and get booked engagements afterwards. And people walked up and said, I can't believe you did it. And thanks for telling the truth. And then it was, it was a heck of a learning experience on my first book engagement with an agent. And I will never forget it as long as I live. Sure. That's crazy, man. Crazy story. Oh, so, yeah. So, what did that, uh, what did that experience teach you? Uh, is there something well, that, you know, other than. Well, Make First sure of all, logistically, logistically, the reason why I share the story is logistically, uh, I mean, you always say, well, now when I go there, when someone says there's a restroom, I check it out. I know exactly what's going on. I have everything taken care of. I never wear a blue, suit, uh, blue shirt ever in my life. I, I, you're either seeing me in white or black. Don't let them see you sweat. All right. That's an automatic. And a lot of people make that mistake on stage. But the reason why I kind of shared the story is that it's not really kind of like the business side, because most people aren't being speakers or professional speaker is. When I try and tell managers or bosses or CEOs of companies, remember when you made mistakes. And I people don't make mistakes on purpose. And so when your people are making mistakes, well, I try and teach individuals and companies that I call it the finger of blame. You know, one finger goes out, three come back. It's real easy to blame people for making a mistake. And my statement to the CEOs is when your people make a mistake, bring them in, talk to them, and, and, and then ask them, you know, what happened? And they say, well, I did this. Well, have you ever done that before? No. But when I ask them the question, I ask the question like this, what do we do? And a lot of people don't pick up on the word we. You know, if they made that mistake, evidently I didn't teach them enough. Something was wrong for them to make that mistake. So we did this together. And then I sit there and say, okay, well, how can we make sure this never happens again? And maybe I need you to write up a policy or procedure so none of my other employees do this. So 
when you're running companies, and I've run a lot of them, and I've worked with over 2,500 different companies, so many times bosses, then, like I said, have the finger of blame. That's not the objective here. The objective is to make them better at what they do. And so try and, try and get them prepared for it and try to remember in the past, I mean, here I am, pretty successful individual, jumping over a fence, making all kinds, every mistake is another mistake. And I didn't do any of them on purpose. So we're trying to remember you've made mistakes in the past, but so many people forget that. Mm, yeah, it's really good advice. Tell me, um, Robert, when, well, let's go, let's go here. If I could give you the keys to the Map Round Show time machine, okay. what would you do differently uh, and why in terms of either business or speaking? Well, in the, in the, in the speaking profession, it, it took me a while to, when I first went out to the National Speakers Association, everybody told me that you had to, you had to have a specific topic. And, and I was like, I'm an entrepreneur. I've owned five companies. Why do I have to have a specific topic? In other words, you have to be an expert at change. You have to be an expert in leadership. You have to be, well, if you're running a business, you got to be a, a you got to learn to be master of all trades. Maybe not, but you're going to be a jack of all of them because you're going to have to learn them. And so I, what I found is what, and what made me successful at what I do is I learned to customize. And so when I do a speaking engagement for clients, I pick up the phone, I call them, and then I ask questions and I shut up and listen. I learned a long time ago, I can't learn anything when my voice is engaged. So, and, and one thing that has helped me, I think, be successful in my business is because I am listening to what they have to say. I'm interviewing some of the top people in the world about, you know, how did you become successful? And then I incorporate what they say into my program. So I never do the same program. It's always going to be a little bit different because I try and make it touch upon the things that they're they're trying to gain from their their company. And you can't be so when I when I look at when I look at business, when I talk about uh, making organizations better, mm. it's um sometimes you so many people are so afraid of asking the question, you know, what do we need to be doing? And then listening to what your employees have to say. Um and when I in fact when I do a strategic planning session, I'll segue for a second. When I do a strategic planning session, I'll ask to see the list of the people that are coming to the meeting. And I want to know their tenure. And they'll say, why do you want to? I said, just send me the tenure. All right. And they're 25 years, 30 years, 18 years, 17 years, 15 years. And I go, you don't have any young people in the meeting. Well, this is a Fortune 100 company or Fortune 1000 company. We're not going to have young people in the meeting. We're going to have the special senior management. I said, if I'm going to do the program, you are. He said, why? I said, because the guy that's been there for 25 years, when he opens his mouth, the guy that's been there for 30 years can finish the stupid sentence. It's the same minutiae. I want something new and different, but I also learned this. I don't allow anybody to pose a, a question or, or give a suggestion on the floor. They have to, they have to type it up and then, and then we assign them a number and then we put it on the screen. So no one knows who says it. The reason why is if a young person that's 25 years old makes a suggestion, all of a sudden that person that's been there for 25 years is going to say, well, what the heck is that person? No, they just got out of college. They, 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 they can't, that can't work. And they'll just turn off the idea. So we put the idea up on the screen. And what holds weight is the idea, not the person. It takes away prejudice totally. I mean, because you also have people in companies that don't like each other, that have worked there for 10 or 15 years. And Joe makes a suggestion. Well, I hate Joe. I don't care if the suggestion is good or bad. I hate Joe. Well, you're trying to make the company better. So if you just put this suggestion up on the screen and let it stand by its own, 
The next thing you know, all of a sudden, people find out how they're going to make their organization better. And then at the end of the meeting, when we finally come up with the two or three good ideas that work, then I tell them whose suggestion it was. And maybe it was that young kid who came up with the idea. Now, all of a sudden, his stock in the company goes up. But if he had made the suggestion at the beginning and they knew it was his, it might not have ever made it to the end because of prejudice, because, of, well, that can't work. And, I mean, the seven words that kill a company, that's the way we've always done it. Well, I want to know new and different things. I'm looking for solutions, not problems, as far as he's telling me what we can't do. Well, so we've always done it. Well, is that an answer? No. Yeah. It's really, really, really awesome. Tell me, Robert, um, what's your advice to other CEOs or business leaders at the moment in terms of, you know, the importance of failure in business success or in reaching any kind of change or, or success that, you know, they might be looking to achieve? Well, if you're looking at, if you're looking at dealing with failure, just like I said, it's talking about the fear, the finger of blame. Um, first of all, never take anybody down in front of somebody else. If someone makes a mistake on the factory floor or in a sales meeting or anything else, uh, I, you know, I've asked people. In fact, I, I actually jump off stage and I and I get in somebody's face and I start screaming at them. You know, I, I can't believe you did this and you're an idiot. And I said, how do you feel with me screaming at you? I hate you. And I said, yeah. Well, have you ever seen a manager do that in front of somebody else? Well, yeah. Well, do you think we should be doing that? No. So when I look at CEOs and our managers that are out there, I mean, 75% of the problems of people leaving companies are caused by bosses. People don't leave companies, they leave bosses. And think about the amount of money it costs you to hire those people, train those people, and then now you run them out the door because of a lousy boss. So your job is to try and figure out how you can make them better. And, and, and in fact, in the companies that I own, if I had a manager that says, I hate that person, fire them. I said, so you're done with them? Yeah, I, I can't stand them. Okay, they're mine. What do you mean they're yours? You don't want them anymore. You think they're a lousy employee, so they're now going to come work for me in another department. It's my company. They're going to work in another. And if you say anything to any manager that they're a lousy employee, I'm going to fire you. And then I would put that employee and we'd have a talk and I'd put them in another department. Because I learned a long time ago, sometimes managers and employees just don't get along. So maybe that's a good employee that I could put with another manager who can deal with them differently. And, and, and I, my rule was three. If I put them with three managers and they didn't get it done, they were gone. There's just some people you can't fix, all right? But the other side of the coin is don't spend all this money hiring people and then assuming that they're, when they make a mistake, they're the ones that are always wrong. A lot of times it's the policy, the procedure, or the manager that's causing the problem. And you need to look deeper into what the resolution needs to be. And sometimes it happens to be a bad boss. Mm. Uh, Robert, are there books, and feel free to punch your own book if you like, but are there any books, tools, or resources that uh, you recommend other CEOs use on their journey? Mine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my first book was How to Soar Like an Eagle on a World Full of Turkeys. <laughs> it's, it's 47 chapters on different things and how to get better. And then my last one, my uh, recent one, is called Raise Your Line. And then I give you a little story there. My my my, I had trouble, you know, writing, you know, coming up with the title of the book. So I talked to one of my agents, and she said, "Rod, you, you've spoken to twenty five hundred companies." She said, "If you could leave them with one thought that would make them better, what's the thought?" And I'm like, ah, "That's that's interesting." So I went back and looked at the books that I'd written and all the articles that I'd written, and I I, I kept coming back to this one article that I'd written about my son who was getting ready to graduate from college. 
And he was sitting in my office and I said, Tyler, you get ready to graduate from college. How do you go about making decisions? Without any hesitation whatsoever, he goes, well, that's all about raising your line, Dad. I'm going, what? I had never heard it in my life. I mean, here I am, a motivational business speaker thinking my son's going to feed back to me something that I've taught him over the years and I'm going to be a proud dad. And he says, it's all about raising your line. And I had never said it. I said, what in the world does that mean? He said, life is a line. I'm not going, this is not going real good. You're born, you die. It's a line. Now I'm really not doing good. And he says, if you do something good, your line goes up. If you do something bad, your line goes down. Why would I ever want to make a decision to make my line go down? I'm going, that's pretty profound out of a 22-year-old. And that's what I named my book, Raise Your Line. If you're going to make a decision, your decision needs to do what? Make that line go up. Now, sometimes you got to get a new software and there's going to be a learning curve and your line's going to be flat. But why in the world would you ever make a decision that's going to make your line go down? And if you're not sure if it's going to go down, get some other people's feedback to find out what's going to make your line go up. And that's the constant. You're always trying to get better. Because if you're not getting better, if you're not improving, there's a, the old misnomer. In fact, I just used it in the program I did in Denver. The, um, I, I said, you know, the, the rule is if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. No. If you do what you've always done, you're going to be gone. Mm. You know, 40% of the Fortune 500 companies that exist today are going to be gone in the next 10 years. So change is evident and you've got to constantly be changing. If you're not, you'll be gone. Mm-hmm. It's a great point to, to end on. Thank you, Robert, for being uh, on the show and for being in the hot seat today. appreciate you for being here. Uh, you're obviously doing amazing things. Uh, guys, check out uh, Robert's website. Book him as a speaker or, or you know, get involved in one of his programs. Robert, thank you for being on the show. appreciate you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Anytime. Thanks, everybody. Ciao for now.